Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book by William Gurnall, the English Bible scholar and pastor who died in 1679. The book is called The Christian in Complete Armor. The Christian in Complete Armor. And this is the modernized abridgment of that Puritan classic. We're going on to section two, number two of this section. It's called The Christian's Call to Service. Directives issued. The soldier is summoned to a life of active duty, and so is the Christian. The very nature of the calling precludes a life of ease. If you had thought to be a, a summer soldier, consider your commission carefully. Your spiritual orders are rigorous. Like the apostle, I would not have you be ignorant on this point and will therefore list a few of your directives. First, renounce your bosom sins, that is, those sins which have lain nearest to your heart. They must now be trampled under your feet. And what courage and resolution this requires! You think Abraham was tested to the limit when called upon to take Isaac, his only son whom he loved? In Genesis 22, offer him up with his own hands. Yet, what was that to this? Soul, take the lust which is the child dearest to your heart, your Isaac, the sin from which you intend to gain the greatest pleasure. Lay hands on it, offer it up, pour out its blood before me. Run the sacrificing knife into the very heart of it, and do it joyfully. Hmm. This is more than the human spirit can bear to hear. Our lust will not lie so patiently on the altar as Isaac, nor as the lamb brought dumb to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. Our flesh will roar and shriek, rending the heart with its hideous cries. Indeed, who can express the conflict, the wrestlings, the convulsions of spirit we endure before we can put our heart into such a command? Or who can fully recount the cleverness with which such a lust will plead for itself. When the Spirit convicts you of sin, Satan will try to convince you it is such a little one, spare it. Or he will bribe the soul with a vow of secrecy. You can keep me and your good reputation too. I will not be seen in your company to shame you among your neighbors. You may shut me up in the attic of your heart, out of sight, if only you will let me now and then have the wild embraces of your thoughts and affections in secret. If that will not be granted, then Satan asks for a stay of execution, well knowing that most such reprieved lusts at last obtain their full pardon. The longer we procrastinate, the harder it becomes to break through the clever coaxing of this silver-tongued defender of sin and death and actually carry out the execution. Here, history's bravest men have shown themselves putty in the enemy's hands. They return from the field with victory banners flying and then live and die slaves to a base lust at home. They're like the great Roman who, as he rode triumphantly through the city, never took his eyes off a prostitute walking along the street. A man who conquered empires captured by the glance of a single woman. Roman numeral two, conform your life to Christ. 
we are commanded not to be conformed to this world, and that is, not to compromise ourselves with the corrupt customs of our day. The Christian must not be such a compliant tailor as to cut the coat of his profession according to popular fashion. Instead, he must stand fixed to his principles, openly showing he is a citizen of heaven by clothing himself in the garments of truth. It takes great courage to disregard the abasement you will surely meet for your nonconformity. Sadly, there are many who cannot stand the strain. Too often we have seen a self-tailored cloak of pride tossed hurriedly over the heavenly garment of imputed righteousness by one who fears the derision of men if he dares confess Christ openly. How many lose heaven because they are ashamed to go there, as they say, in a fool's coat. While some will mock, others will persecute to death the Christian who will not conform in principle or practice. This was the trap laid for the three Hebrew children. They must dance to the tune of Nebuchadnezzar's pipe or burn. Such, too, was the plot laid to ensnare Daniel, who walked so faultlessly that the only charge his enemies could bring against him was his single-mindedness in his religion. Now, in such a case as this, when the choice means life or death, when a Christian must renounce his Lord or become prey to the cruel teeth of bloody men, how many retreats and self-preserving escapes will a cowardly heart invent? It is a great honor to a Christian when all his enemies can say is he will not do as we do. The Christian who faces such great opposition must be well locked into the saddle of his profession, or else he will soon be dismounted. Roman numeral three, sidesteps, stumbling blocks. There have always been those in the church who, by serious mistakes in judgment and conduct, have laid a stumbling block in the path of professing Christians. You will need a holy resolution to bear up against such discouragements. Strive to be like Joshua. When most of the Israelites revolted and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, Joshua maintained his integrity. He declared that though not another man would join him, yet he would serve the Lord. Roman numeral four, trust God in every circumstance. There are times when a saint is called to trust in a withdrawing God. Let him that walketh in darkness and hath no light trust in the name of the Lord, said Isaiah. This requires a bold step of faith to venture into God's presence with the same temerity as Esther into Ahasuerus's or Xerxes. Even when no smile lights his face, when no golden scepter is extended to summon us to come near, we must press forward with this noble resolution, if I perish, I perish. Which leads our faith one step further. We must trust also in a killing God. We must declare with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It takes a submissive faith for a soul to march steadily forward, while God seems to fire upon that soul and shoot his frowns like poisoned arrows into it. This is hard work, 
and will test the Christian's mettle. Yet such a spirit we find in the poor woman of Canaan, who caught the bullets Christ shot at her, and with a humble boldness sent them back again in her prayer. Roman numeral 5. Stay on course to the end of your life. Your work and your life must go off the stage together. Persisting to the end will be the burr under your saddle, the thorn in your flesh, when the road ahead seems endless and your soul begs an early discharge. It weighs down every other difficulty of your calling. We have known many who have joined the army of Christ and liked being a soldier for a battle or two, but have soon had enough and ended up deserting. They impulsively enlist for Christian duties, are easily persuaded to take up a profession of religion, and are just as easily persuaded to lay it down. Like the new moon, they shine a little in the first part of the evening, but they go down before the night is over. This persevering is a hard word, taking up the cross daily, praying always, watching night and day, and never laying aside our armor to indulge ourselves, sends many sorrowful away from Christ. Yet this is your calling, to make the Christian faith your daily work, without any vacation from one end of the year to the other. These few examples are enough to show how much courage and determination you need. How to obtain such courage is our next order of business. Number three, an admonition to be strong in the Lord, the source of the saints' strength. Having exhorted all saints to an iron resolution and flinty courage in their warfare, the apostle now leads us out of ourselves for our source of strength and to the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. The strength of an earthly general lies in his troops. He flies upon their wings. If their feathers get clipped or their necks broken, he is helpless. But in the army of saints, the strength of the whole host lies in the Lord of hosts. God can overcome his enemies without help from anyone, but his saints cannot so much as defend the smallest outpost without his strong arm. One of God's names is the strength of Israel. He was the strength of David's heart. With him, this shepherd boy could defy the giant who defied a whole army. Without God's strength, David trembled at a word or two that dropped from the Philistine's mouth. He wrote, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. The Lord is likewise your strength in your war against sin and Satan. Some wonder whether a sin is ever committed without Satan having a part. But if the question were whether any holy action is ever performed without involving the special assistance of God, that is settled. Without me you can do nothing. Paul put it this way, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We saints have a reservoir of grace, and yet it lies like water at the bottom of a well, and will not ascend with all our pumping. First, God must prime it with his awakening grace. Then it will gush forth. Paul says, To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. 
Both the will to do and the action which follows are of God. It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is at the bottom of the ladder and at the top also. The author and finisher, assisting the soul at every rung in its ascent to any holy action. And once we have begun a work, how long will we stick to it? Only as long as we are held up by the same hand that empowered us at first. We quickly deplete the strength he gives us. And so to maintain the permanence of a holy course, we must have a renewing strength from heaven every moment. The Christian, like a chalice without a base, cannot stand on his own nor hold what he has received any longer than God holds him in his strong hands. Knowing this, Christ, when bound for heaven and ready to leave his children, asked the Father to care for them in his absence. Father, keep those whom thou hast given me. It is as if he had said, They must not be left alone. They are poor, shiftless children and cannot take care of themselves. Unless you hold on to them tightly and keep them constantly in your sight, they will lose the grace I have given them and wander into temptation. Therefore, Father, keep them. Even in acts of worship, our strength is in the Lord. Consider prayer. Would we pray? Where will we find topics for our prayers? Alas, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Let us alone and we will soon pray ourselves into some temptation or other and beg for the very thing that God knows we should not have. To protect us, then, God puts words in our mouths. But without some heart-heating affections to thaw the tap, the words will freeze on our lips. We may search in vain the corridors of our own hearts and the drafty corners of our souls. We will not find a spark upon our own hearth unless it is some strange fire of natural desires, which will not do. No, the fire that thaws the iciness of the heart must come from heaven, a gift from God, who is a consuming fire. First, the Spirit stretches himself upon the soul as the prophet on the child. Then the soul will begin to kindle and put forth some heavenly heat in its affections. At last the Spirit melts the heart, and prayer flows from the lips of the believer as naturally as tears from the eyes. And though the saint is the speaker, the author of the prayer is God. And so we see that both the strength to pray and the prayer itself are from God. The same is true in hearing the word. We have been instructed to hear the word preached. But what will it profit unless God opens the ears of our understanding? For six months, David listened to lectures on the law and sat unmoved. And then God, through Nathan, stirred the embers of his heart. The word came alive and he repented. All that was said before God intervened may have been good and true, but David remained cold and unresponsive until the Spirit stirred the ashes of his understanding and kindled a holy fire. And then David's heart burned within while God spoke. The same is true in our own experience. First, the Spirit of God moves upon our spirit. Then we know for a surety that our strength is in the Lord. The following explanation will help you see the truth of this point. 
Unfortunately, we have to stop right there. Next time we do Gurnal, you will talk, we will talk about the significance of God's strength. This is a critical book, folks. I do hope that you will get a hold of it yourself or at least follow me from time to time. The Christian in Complete Armor, Volume 1, a modernized abridgment of the Puritan classic by William Gurnall. Maybe you'll find it yourself and get ahead of me in these readings. These are good. This is very good. Stay with it. Thank you so much for being with me, as always. Um, we have over 3,000 audios on this site. I hope that you'll go looking for the other ones, too. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 20th of February, 2023. And Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.